Oh my goodness, I am so excited. My little tip teacups, here we go with part four of Harriet Tubman's book. I am so excited. Like, you do not know how excited I am. Like, this, just reading this book just gives me life every single day. I cannot wait to get into this part. We are starting on page, I think, 40, uh, 43 or 46 or something like that. I'm not sure. I'll be able to tell you um, when I start reading the book. But I am so excited. This is a book written by Sarah H. Bradford for Harriet Tubman. Um, Harriet Tubman gave her all the information. She wrote it down and wrote a book and published it for Harriet so that Harriet could make some money because she wasn't getting paid and she was really struggling. But she had freed so many slaves and she had done so many heroic things that her guides and her um, her angels really, really took care of her. So this part, I just cannot wait to share with you guys. I cannot wait to read it myself because as you know, I am reading and reacting as we're going along. I have not read this in advance, so I don't know what's happening next. And I'm just so excited to share with you. So sit back, relax, get your tea, sit on my couch and let's get into Harriet Tubman's book, Scenes of Harriet's Life. Let's go. Hello, my little teacups. How are you? Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. <laughs> I am finished school. Um, I am home. Um, I actually am off today. Our job um, gave us power up days, they call them. Um, they're just random days that the company was just giving us and paying us for them. So basically, the only thing that we had to do is pick 10 days. And out of those 10 days, they would pick two of them and give it to us for power up days. So um, one of the days they gave me uh, about two weeks ago, and I really, really needed it because I was doing statistics at the time and I really needed the day off. And this is my first week off from school. Um, I have next week off and then I go back, um, to classes after that, but this is my, um, first week off for my two weeks, um, in between semesters and I got the day off. This is one of the days that they gave me off and I did, I picked it. I just picked every Thursday because I'm off. I, I go back to work on Thursdays. I'm off three days. So when I picked the Thursday, um, I just picked like a bunch of Thursdays in a row and it just happened to be this Thursday. So it worked out really good. So here we are back, ready to go back into Harriet Tubman's book. I know that Harriet Tubman has been a long couple of um, parts and I know it has gone on for a long time, but it's just really interesting. I really, really love it. And of course, we're going to move on eventually, but I just want to flush out this story all the way because there is a lot of history that is now going to be erased because of CRT and is not going to be taught in schools anymore. And hopefully it'll still be available on the internet. But if it's not, or if books are destroyed, it's going to be very, very hard to get these books and to get these things. So I want to make sure that me personally, I am giving all the stories, everything is there so that just in case CRT takes over and we are not able to get any of our history, anyone can come to my podcast and learn about our history and learn about where we came from and what is available to us. 
and hopefully it will never be destroyed. It will always be on this podcast because I'm on a lot of different platforms. So let's get started. Um, we are starting on page 36 of Harriet, um, Scenes of Harriet's Life. Um, it's a book. I plan on actually getting the book. Um, I'm going to order it and I'm going to order. There's another book that I want to order that's from um, one of the conductors of the Underground Railroad. Every book that I find um, that is from slavery time or from the 1800s or any book about anything that has to do with our culture, I definitely want to have it and I want to be able to share it with you guys, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, because a lot of people... Um, say, oh my goodness, like, why are you telling these stories? Some of them are so horrible or you're offending people or whatever have you. Well, you know what? When we read about about Washington, right, we hear about the good things that he did and we hear about the bad things sometimes. Um, when we hear about Lincoln, when we look at documentaries, we hear of the great things that he did and we hear of the bad things that he did too. And nobody's upset about it. You know what I'm saying? And that is, you know, some of you guys' history, and that is who you came from. So I am just giving our history so that we can look back and say, you know what, look at Harriet. Like, if Harriet Tubman could do that, and she couldn't read, she couldn't write, she didn't have any money, she, you know, worked for a certain amount of time to get a certain amount of money to do this, like, this has to be good. Like, like this is amazing. You know what I'm saying? So for me, it's just, it's just one of my passions. I love art and I love um, telling our history and I'm trying to fuse all those things together and I just want to bring it to you guys so that even if there's only four, five, six people listening, I want this to be spread everywhere. I want you guys to tell everybody. I want you guys to spread it everywhere because eventually it will be spread everywhere because it won't be, you won't be able to find it anyplace else. <laughs> So anyway, we're going to get right into page 36 and we're going to go down as far as possible. I am actually going to try to film um, as many as, of these today as I can so that um, we can be ready. All right. So that we can be ready um, each Thursday, even when school starts, I can just press publish and you guys will have it. All right, we are on the bottom of page 36 and we are starting on the last paragraph. I'm so excited, guys. Like, I cannot tell you how excited I am to hear this story. So let's go, let's go, let's go. Okay, many of the stories told, told me by Harriet in answer to questions have been corroborated by letters, some of which will appear in this book. Of others, I have not been able to procure confirmation owing to ignorance of the address of those conversants with the facts. I find among her papers, many of which are defaced by being carried about with her for years, portions of her letters addressed Portions of letters addressed to myself by persons at the South and speaking of uh, valuable assistance Harriet, Harriet was rendering our soldiers in the hospital and our armies in the field. At this time, her manner of life as related by herself was this. Well, Mrs., 
I'd go to the hospital I would early in the morning. I'd get a big chunk of ice. I would, and I'd put it in a basin, and I'd fill it with water. Then I'd take a sponge and begin. First man I'd come to, I'd thrash away the flies. And they rise and they would be like bees round a hive. Then I began to bathe their wounds. And by the time I'd bathe off three or four, the fire and heat would have melted the ice and made the water warm. It would be as red as clear blood. Then I'd go and get more ice. I would, I would, and by the time I get to the next one, there'd be flies be around the first one, black and thick as ever. In this way, she worked day after day till night, till late at night, and then went home to her little cabin and made about 50 pies a great quantity of gingerbread, and two casts of root beer. Let's just pause for a second, because that is crazy to me. I'm reading this, and I am like, what? We're only on the first page. <laughs> okay, so she would put ice and water in a basin. And then she would go to the first man. And this man was probably bleeding. He probably just came back from war. And he has flies all over him. And she would just shoo them away and bathe him down until the ice melted. And by the time she got to the second person, the first person was full of flies again. That is crazy. And then she'd go home and bake pies and gingerbread. Like... Oh my goodness, that is crazy to me. Okay, these she would hire some contraband to sell for her through the camps and thus she would provide her support for another day. For this woman never received pay or pension and never drew for herself but 20 days ration during the four years of her labors. Wow. At one time, she was called away from Hilton Head by one of our officers to come to Federina. Federandina, where the men were dying off like sheep from dysentery. Harriet had acquired quite a reputation for her skill in curing this disease by a medicine which she prepared from roots which grew near the water which gave the disease. Here she found thousands of sick soldiers and contrabands and immediately gave up her time and attention to them. At another time, we find her nursing those who were down by hundreds with smallpox and malignant fever. She had never had these diseases, but she seemed to have no more fear 
of death in one form or another. The Lord would take me care. The Lord would take care of her till her time came and then she was ready to go. When our armies and gumboats, gumboats first appeared in any part of the South, many of the poor Negroes were as much afraid as the Yankee buckra as of their own masters. It was almost impossible to win their confidence or to get information from them, but, ha but to Harriet, they would tell anything. And so it was quite important that she would accompany expeditions going up the river or into unexploded parts of the country to control and get information from those whom they took with her as guides. General Hunter asked her at one time if she would go with several gunboats up the Cambahee River, the object of the expedition being to take up the torpedoes placed by the rebels in the river to destroy railroads and bridges and cut off supplies from the rebel troops. She said she would go if Colonel Montgomery was to be appointed commander of the expedition. Colonel Montgomery was one of John Brown's men and well known to Harriet. According to Colonel Montgomery, Accordingly, sorry, Colonel Montgomery was appointed to the command and Harriet with several men under her, the principal whom was Jay Plowden, who passed, I have accompanied the expedition. Harriet described in the most graphic manner the appearance of the plantation as they passed up the river. The frightened Negroes leaving their work and taking to the woods at sight of the gunboats, then coming to peer out like startled deer and scudding away like the wind at the sound of the steam whistle. Well, said one Negro, Master said the Yankee had horns and tails, but I never believed it till now. But the word was passed along by the mysterious telegraphic communication existing among these simple people that these were the Lincoln gunboats come to set them free. In vain, then, the driver used their whips and their efforts to hurry the poor creatures back to the quarters. They all turned and ran for the gunboats. <laughs> They came down every road across every field, just as they had left their work and their cabins. Women and children clinging around their necks, hanging on to their dresses, running behind, all making up full speed for Lincoln's gunboats. 800 poor wretches at one time crowded the banks with their hands extended toward the deliverers and they were all taken off upon the gunboats and carried down to Buford. I never see such a sight, said Harriet. We laughed and laughed and laughed. Here you'd see a woman with a pail on her head, rice a-smoking, 
and it just as she taking it from the fire, young one hanging on behind on behind, one hanging round her forehead to hold on together, hand digging into the deep rice eaten with all its might. Hold hold on to her dress, two or three more. Down her back a bag with a pig in it. One woman bought two pigs, one white one and one black one. We took them all on board, named the white pig Bertrand and the black pig Jess Davis. Sometimes the woman would come with twins hanging around their necks, pairs like I never seen so many twins in my life, bags on their shoulders, back, baskets on their heads, and young ones tagging behind all loaded. Pigs squealing, chickens screaming, young ones squalling. <laughs> and so they came pouring down to the gunboats. When they stood on shore and the small boats put, up, put out to take them off, they all wanted to get in at once. After the boats were crowded, they would hold on to them so they could not leave the shore. The oarsmen would beat them on their hands, but they would not let go. They were afraid the gunboats would go off and leave them and all wanted to make sure of one of these arcs refuge of uh, make sure of one of these arcs of refuge. At length, Colonel Montgomery shouted from the upper deck above the clamor of appealing tones. Moses, you'll have to give him a song. Then Harriet lifted up her voice and sang. Of all the whole creation, in the east or in the west, the glorious Yankee nation is the greatest and the best. Come along, come along. Don't be alarmed. Uncle Sam is rich enough to give you all a farm. At the end of every verse, the Negroes, in their enthusiasm, would throw up their hands and shout, Glory! And the rowboats would take off that, uh, would take that opportunity to push off. And so at last, they were all brought on board. The master fled houses and barns and railroad bridges were burned, tracks torn up torpedoes destroyed, and the exposition was in all respects successful. That is so amazing to just hear the, um, like what they were going through just to get on board, right? It was amazing to see, hold on. It was amazing to see that these people were risking everything. They were literally risking everything and they bought everything with them. Like they were like, listen, we about to go on these gunboats, but we ain't about to go on by ourselves. Now, I done picked this rice for 20 years. So guess what? We bringing rice with us and that pig right there, we bringing him too. And we're bringing that pig and get the twins, put them on my neck and put the rice on my head. We're going to carry some, some chickens in our armpits. Like 
they were not playing when it came to leaving this farm. They were like, we are out of here. We are done. That is it. And it was amazing also to see that they were holding on to the rowboats because these were big ships and they couldn't come too close to the dock, um, to the shore, because they would get stuck, right? Like we learned um, in Harriet's story, there were four boats and they had to wind up using three because one of them got stuck and came too close to shore. So they couldn't come too close to shore. So they would be a little far out and then they would send rowboats to go get the people. But of course, you know, people are just like, I want to get out. Like, what if we don't go on the first thing and the master comes and then, you know, they're afraid they have never been free before. So they're in a panic, like, no, 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 like, let me on the boat, like, let me go on the boat too. And it got to a point where Harriet had to be like, all right, calm down. Like, we're not going to let y'all stay here. We got, we got to let some of the boats go so that we can bring them here. And then we're going to come back and get you. It's just like five minutes out. Like, let them bring those people. We're going to bring them on the boat and we're going to come back and get you. So it must've been chaos, but it must've also been so amazing to just get on that boat know that you're going to be free, eat some rice, pet the pigs, chase after the chickens, see your twins. And just as a mom, I know I would probably be sitting on that boat, just looking at my kids running around and saying, oh my God, like my kids are actually going to be free. Like they are never going to have to know the hardship of picking cotton or rice or tobacco or being underneath somebody who's going to whip you like they're actually going to be free now they didn't know about Jim Crow and all the other kind of nonsense that we was going to be going through all the way till 2022 all the way to today but we are not under plantations we have moved past that and we have moved past Jim Crow to a certain extent So it's just amazing to see that these people went through that and just made it, you know? All right, let's go on. We're on page 42. All right. This fearless woman was often sent into the rebel lines as a spy and brought back valuable information as to the position of armies and batteries. She had been in battle when the shot was falling like hail and the bodies of dead and wounded men were dropping around her like leaves in autumn. But the thought of fear never seems to have had a place for a moment in her mind. She had her duty to perform and she expected to be taken care of till it was done. Would that instead, would that instead of taking them in this poor way at second hand, my readers could hear this woman's graphic accounts of scenes her herself witness, could listen to her imitation of Negro preachers in their own very particular dialect, her singing of camp meeting hymns her account of experience meetings, her imitation of the dances and the funeral ceremonies of these simple people. Why their language down there is the far south. 
is just as different from ours in Maryland as you can think, she said. They laughed when they heard me talk, and I could not understand them no how. She described a midnight funeral, which she attended, for the slaves never having been allowed to bury their dead in the daytime, continued the custom of night funerals from habit. Oh my goodness. That is terrible. They couldn't bury their dead until nighttime? Can you imagine you are picking cotton and your mom dies while you're picking cotton? You have to just keep working, go over her, knowing that she died, mourning while you're working. And then at the end of the day, when night finally falls, now you got to go find her in the field and then have a funeral for her. That is terrible. Oh, my goodness. The corpse was laid upon the ground and the people all sat around the group being lighted up by pine torches. Excuse me. The old Negro preacher began to give out a hymn, which was sung by all. And oh, I wish you could hear him sing, Mrs. said Harriet. Their voices is so sweet and they could sing everything we sing. And then they can sing a great many hymns that we can't never catch at all. The older preacher began his sermon by pointing to the dead man who laid in a rude box on the ground before him. Shum de a de a shum David. Dera dera. Now I want y'all to flee for a moment. Who of who of all this congregation is going next to lie dera dera? You can't go nowheres, my friends and brethren, but death death will find you. Death will find you. You can't dig no hole so deep and bury yourself dar and bury yourself there, but God Almighty foreseeing eyes will find you and death will come after you. You can't go into the big fort pointing to Hilton Head and shut yourself in there. That fort that Sheriff Beckner said that they will couldn't take, but death will find you there. All your friends may forgot you, but death will never forget you. Now, my brethren, prepare to lie, dead a deader. That's what it says, dead a deader. D e d slash a slash d e slash d a h. Dada dada. <laughs> this was the burden of every of a very long this was the burden of a very long sermon after which the whole congregation went round in a sort of solemn dance called the spiritual shuffle, shaking their hands with each other and calling each other by name as they sang. My sister Mary bound to go my sister nanny bound to go my brother tony bound to go my brother july bound to go 
This is the same tomb till every hand had been shaken by every one of the company. When they came to Harriet, who was a stranger, they sang, everybody bound to go. The body was then placed in a government wagon and by the light of pine torches, the strange dog procession moved along singing a rude funeral hymn till they reached the place of burial. Harriet's account of her interview with an old Negro she met in Hilton Head is amusing and interesting. He said, I've been year 70 years working for my master without even a dime wages. I work rain wet, sun dry. I work with my mouth full of dust, but would not stop to get a drink of water. I've been whipped and starving and I always praying, oh Lord, come and deliver us. All that time the birds had been flying and the ravens had been crying and the fish had been swimming in the water. One day I look up and I see a big cloud. It didn't come up like as the clouds come from far yonder, but it appeared to be right overhead. There was thunders out of there and there was lightning. Then I look down on the water and I see peered I see appeared to be, to me, a big house in the water. And out of that big house came a great big eggs. And the good eggs went on true the air and fell into the fort. And the bad eggs burst before they got there. Then the sh- Sheriff Bruckner began to run. And they never stop running until they get to the swamp. And they stick there and they die there. Then I heard twas a Yankee ship firing out the big eggs. And they come to set us free. Then I praise the Lord. I come and put his little finger in the work. And the Sheriff Bruckner go. And the birds stop flying and the ravens stop crying. And when I go to catch a fish to eat with my rice, there was no fish there. The Lord Almighty come and frighten them all out of the water. Oh, praise the Lord. I prayed 73 years and now he's coming and will be free. Wow. That is amazing. So... Just to clear up like what he's saying here, he was praying and saying that he wanted to to be free, right? He was praying to the Lord. And one day this cloud comes out of nowhere and it's not a cloud like a regular cloud. Um, It probably was a, a cloud from like cannons, right? From the smoke from cannons and also from gunfire because back then when they fired guns, smoke would come out of the guns. And he sees the smoke and then he sees good eggs and bad eggs, right? So those are probably the cannonballs (laughs) that are coming out and they're blowing up, you know, different areas 
And he said that they were running everywhere. And he said, these were the boats that were going to make us free like that. He prayed for 70 something years. Can you imagine you're sitting there and you're like, man, Lord, please just help us. Like I'm going through so much here. Like, and then finally someone comes to save you after 70 years, like, that that could be a Bible verse. Like that is just, oh my goodness. That is just amazing. Amazing. All right. Let's see how our time is going. Hold on one second. Oh my goodness. I lost the thing in my phone. Here we go. All right. We still have a little bit more time. So let's read a little bit more. We are on page 46. All right. Let's see what we got here. That is just, oh my goodness, that is just amazing. All right, we're going to continue. The last time Harriet was returning from the war with her pass as hospital nurse, she brought a half fare ticket as she was told she must do. And missing the other train, she got into an immigrant train on the Amboy Railroad. When the conductor looked at her ticket, he said, come hustle out of here. We don't carry the N-word for a half fare. Harriet explained to him that she was in the employ of the government and was entitled to transportation as the soldiers were. But the conductor took her forcibly by the arm and said, I'll make you tired of trying to stay here. She resisted and being very strong, she could probably have got the better of the conductor had he not called three men to assist him. (laughs) It took four men to get Harriet off a train. Oh my goodness. The car was filled with immigrants and no one seemed to take her part. The only words she heard accompany were fearful oaths were pitch the anger, pitch the Negro out. They nearly wrenched her arm off and the length threw her with all their strength into a baggage car. She supposed her arm was broken And in intense suffering, she came on to New York. As she left the car, a delight, a delicate looking young man came up to her and handing her a card said, you ought to sue that conductor. And if you want a witness, call on me. Harriet remained all winter under the care of a physician in New York. He advised her to sue the railroad company and said that he would willingly testify as to her injuries. But the card the young man had given her was only a visiting card and she didn't know where to find him. And so she let the matter go. Wow. Wow. Like, just take that in like wow like I can't even I can't even fathom 
she missed the train. She got on the train with immigrants and they tried to take her off. Four men threw her into a baggage car and probably broke her arm. Wow. She already has a head injury. Like, oh my goodness. That is crazy. The writer here finds it necessary to apologize for the very desultory and hasty manner in which this little book is written. Being herself pressed for time in the expectation of soon leaving the country, she is obliged to pin down the material to be used in the short and and interrupted interviews she can obtain with Harriet, and also to use such letters and accounts as many be sent to her as they come without being able to work them in, in the order of time. A very material assistant is to be rendered her by the kind offer of an account of Harriet's services during the war written by Mr. Charles P. Wood of Auburn and a kindly copied and kindly copied by one of Harriet's most faithful and most efficient friends, Miss S. M. Hopkins of that place. It was wise to plan our sagacious heroine to leave for her parents till the last till the last to be brought away. They were pensioned off as to old to work, had a cabin and a horse and a cow, and were quite comfortable. If Harriet had taken them away before the young people, these last would have been sold into Southern slavery and kept them out of her way. But at length, Harriet heard that the old man had been betrayed, had been betrayed by a slave whom he had assisted, but who had turned back and when questioned by his wife, told her the story of his intended escape and of the aid he had received from old Ben. This woman, hoping to curry favor with her master, revealed the whole to him of old Ben. And old Ben was arrested. Ugh. He was to be tried the next week when Harriet appeared upon the scene and, as she says, saved them the expense of the trial and removed her father to a higher court by taking him off to Canada. (laughs) The manner of their escape is detailed in the following letter from Thomas Garrett, the Wilmington Quaker. Wow. Oh my goodness. I cannot wait to read this letter. All right. I'm just checking to see how much um, time we have. All right. We don't have much time, but I'm going to try to read this letter because that is so crazy. All right. So basically her father tried to help somebody escape and the person turned back, which Harriet wouldn't let them do. And when they find, found out, um, they found old, um, old Ben, which was Harriet's father, and put him up for trial. And Harriet was like, I saved them the expense of the trial, and I went and got my dad. 
and rescued him. So let's see what this letter says. And we're probably going to read this letter and then that will be the end of this episode. All right, let's see. All right. Hold on. I'm sorry, guys. Sometimes when I go to make it bigger so I can see it, it changes pages. And then I don't know what page we're on. All right. We are on page 48. Here we go. My friend. This is the letter. I'm so excited. Wilmington, 6th month, 1868. Okay. Oh my God. I'm so excited. Okay. My friend. Thy favor of the 12th reached me yesterday, requesting such reminiscences, reminisce, reminisce, reminisces, there we go, as I could give respecting the remarkable labors of Harriet Tubman in aiding her colored friends from bondage. I may begin by saying, living as I have in a slave state and the laws being very severe, where any proof could be made of anyone aiding slaves on their way to freedom, I have not felt at liberty to keep any written word of Harriet or my own labors, except by numbering those whom I have aided. For that reason, I cannot furnish so interesting an account of Harriet's labors as I otherwise could and now will be glad to do. For in truth, I never met with any person of any color who had more confidence in the voice of God as spoken direct to her soul. She had frequently told me that she talked with God and she talked with her every day of her life. She had declared to me that she felt no more fear of being arrested by her former master or any other person when in an immediate neighbor, when in his immediate neighborhood, than she did in the state of New York or Canada. For she said she never ventured only where God sent her, and her faith in the supreme power truly was great. She had some faith, child. I have now been confined to my room with indisposition more than four weeks and cannot sit to write much, but I feel so much interested in Harriet that I will try to give some of the most remarkable incidents that now present themselves to my mind. The date of the commencement of her labor I cannot certainly give, but I think it must have been about 1845, from that time till 1860. I think she must have bought from the neighborhood where she had been held as a slave from 60 to 80 persons from Maryland, from 80 miles from here. No slave who placed herself under her care was ever arrested that I have heard of. She mostly had her regular stopping places on her route, but in one instance, when she had two stout men with her, some 30 miles below here, she said that God told her to stop, which she did, and then asked him what she must do. He told her to leave the road and turn to the left. She obeyed and soon came to a small stream of tide water. 
there was no boat, no bridge. She again, she again inquired of her guide what she was to do. She was told to go through. It was cold in the month of March, but having confidence in her guide, she went in. The water came up to her armpits, and the, and the men refused to follow till they saw her safe on the opposite shore. Then they followed, and if I mistake not, she had soon to wait a second stream, soon after which she came to a cabin of colored people who took them all in, put them to bed, and dried their clothes ready to proceed the next night on their journey. Harriet had run out of money and gave them some of her underclothes to pay for their kindness. Oh my goodness. When she called on me two days after, she was so hoarse, she could hardly speak and was also suffering with violent, with a violent toothache. Wow. The strange part of the story we found to be that the master of these two men had put up the previous day at the railroad station near where she left an advertisement for, for them offering a large reward for their apprehension, but they made a safe exit. She at one time bought as many as seven or eight, several of whom were women and children. She was well known here in Chester County and Philadelphia, Philadelphia and respected by all true abolitionists. I had been in the habit of furnishing her and those that accompanied her as she returned from her acts of mercy with new shoes. And on one occasion, when I had not seen her for three months, she came into my store. I said, Harriet, I'm glad to see you, thee. I suppose thee want a pair of new shoes. She replied, I want more than that. I just said, I have always been liberal with thee and wish, and wish to be but I am not rich and cannot afford to give much. Her reply was, God tells me you have money for me. I asked, I asked her if God never deceived, if God ever deceived her. She said, no. Well, how much does thee want? After studying a moment, she said about $20. I then gave her $24 and some odd cents and the net proceeded of five pounds sterling receiving through Eliza Wingham of Scotland for her. I had given some accounts of Harriet's labor of the Anti-Slavery Society of Edinburgh, of which Eliza Wingham was secretary. Out, out of reading of my letter, a gentleman present said, he would, ha he would send Harriet four pounds if he knew of any way to get it to her. Eliza Wingham offered to forward it to me for her, and that was the first money ever received by me for her. Some 12 months after she called on me again and said that God told her I had money for her, but not so much as before. I had a few days previously received a net proceed of one pound ten shillings from Europe for her. To say the least, there was something remarkable 
in these facts, whether clairvoyant or the divine impression of her mind from the source of all power, I could not tell. But certain it was she had a guide within her self other than the written word, and she never had any education. She brought away her aged parents in a singular manner. They started with an old horse fitted out in primitive style with with a straw collar, a pair of old chase wheels with a board on the axle to sit. Another board swung with ropes fastened to the axle to rest their feet on. She got her parents, who were both slaves, belonging to different masters, on this rude vehicle to the railroad, put them in the cars, turned Jehu Jehu herself, and drove to their town in a style that no human being able, being ever did. Oh. And drove to the town in a style that no human being ever did before or since. But she was happy at having arrived safe. Next day, I furnished her with money to take them all to Canada. I afterwards sold their horse and sent them the balance of the proceeds. I believe that Harriet succeeded in freeing all her relatives but one sister and her three children, etc., etc. Thy friend, Douse Garrett. That was amazing. That was amazing. We are on page 53. That was amazing. I was literally on the edge of my seat for that. (laughs) That is so crazy. So it just shows that um, what was said in her story that she was clairvoyant and that she felt like she had messages for God. She was probably psychic. Um, that really hit home for me. Um, because I, I know a lot of you don't know, but I am psychic and I have spoken to those from the other side, which is really crazy to me. Um, I just started to be able to do that in 2020. I never practiced. I never tried to do it. It just started happening out of nowhere. And, um, all my stuff has been accurate. Um, and it's, it's just, it's an amazing gift to have, but it's something that you don't expect. It's not, there's nothing in my house moving. There's nothing going on, anything like that. I just get pictures in my mind and I'm able to know who they're for and who they're from. And I say those pictures to my friends, like, you know, this person is, has on this color dress and it's tight at the waist. Like, you know, they just show me things and they're like, Oh my God, I have a picture of that. That's so crazy. And then they show me the picture and I'm like, Oh my God, that's just, that's exactly what I saw. So to see Harriet come up to someone and just be like, listen, you, God said that he, that you have money for me. Where's the money? And for him to have the money or to have it had been sent to him is totally and completely amazing. I mean, this story, even what I researched isn't as good as this book. Like this book is amazing. I cannot wait to get my hands on this book. I don't have it myself. I have it online right now. I'm reading it off of um, 
the Library of Congress. Um, and also, according to the Free Will Act, I am sharing this information for educational uh, purposes only. This is not for any sale. Nothing on this um, episode will have ads or anything like that um, to make money. It is all completely for educational purposes and just for you guys to hear Harriet Tubman's words. And I am just, I cannot wait to continue this book with you guys next week. Um, I am so glad to be off from school and to be finished so that I can get back into my um, my joy, my passion of sharing with you guys black tea, um, about Harriet Tubman. I am so excited. I can't wait to put a small commercial on TikTok and on Instagram so that you guys can flock over and hear this book. I am just mind blown, just mind blown. So thank you so much for, um, coming with me again. Um, we are finishing on page 50. Three, so um, we will begin again on page fifty-three. I don't even know how many pages it is. I am just so excited to read this book. I just can't wait to share it with you guys. <laughs> so we have almost gone for a full hour. We don't have much time left. So I am going to end by saying I hope that you are sitting on your couch with your tea, whether whether it be pineapple or strawberry or calamine or just plain black tea. I hope that you are truly enjoying this episode and all the other episodes of black tea. And I cannot wait to share so much more with you guys. Um, have a really, really, really good week. And I will see you next Thursday with the next part of Harriet Tubman's book, Scenes of Harriet Tubman's Life. I love you guys. Have a good day.